1: Hi everyone, it's Raja again from Melbourne, and this is personal finance podcast episode number 21. Um, And this is the second episode um, this year. And in this episode, um, I thought I'd talk about two topics. The first topic will be the concept of fire. Um, Some of you may have heard of this concept that's sort of been more prominent, particularly in the last five to ten years. Uh, and particularly among uh, millennials. Um, And the second topic um, I thought we'd talk about is something called debt recycling strategies, uh, mainly used to pay off your personal home mortgage um, as quickly as possible. Now, obviously, to recap some of the previous episodes, um, the basic fundamental um, concept that I'm trying to propose in all of my episodes is, obviously, spend less than what you earn, and siphon off 20% of your after-tax net income um, into some sort of savings plan or investment, and then the rest of the 80% is for your living expenses. So um, if you can you know, pay yourself first to that 20% amount of money and put it away for a rainy day and for a later fund, which is going to be your retirement, then um, over the long term, if you repeat that strategy again and again, you're likely to end up in a significantly better financial position than you would have had you not done that strategy. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about what is FIRE. Um, Basically, FIRE is an acronym. Uh, It stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. Um, And it really is a movement, um, very much popularised by a gentleman in America called Mr. Money Mustache. Um, But the actual concept has been around for a very long time, close to 30 years. Um, and as part of the movement um, the the basic premise of it is that it's a movement based on extreme savings usually 50 to 70 percent of your after-tax income and it also stems from investing that income and that savings for the long haul Uh, and the aim initially was to retire ridiculously early so you know people in their 30s maybe even early 40s, retiring completely, quitting their jobs and living their dreams. But in the last sort of five to 10 years, it's morphed into having the freedom to retire early because a lot of these people uh, are the type of people that actually quite enjoy their work, um, but maybe not do it full-time, maybe do it part-time and then supplement the rest of the time and enjoy life when you have enough retirement money to sort of draw down on. So I guess the question is. Isn't that the whole point of, uh, you know, personal finance right from the get-go? Now, certainly, when I was, you know, in my twenties, um, I was following this principle. I didn't know what FIRE was. Um, I basically saved, you know, fifty to seventy percent of my after-tax income um, because I didn't have um, a family, I didn't uh, have kids, I didn't have much expenses, so it was relatively easy to do. But as I've matured, um, gone into a career pathway. Um, got married, now have kids. Um, it's pretty hard to keep up that 50 to 70% savings uh, ratio. So that's that's where I sort of come up with this sort of 20% rule. Um, but essentially, uh, retrospectively, looking at my life over the last, you know, you know 10 to 20 years or so, um, certainly in my early 20s, this was the sort of concept that I was following, but I didn't really realize that that was called FIRE. So how did it come about? Well, since the 90s, Um, The concept has been to compare the expenses that you have versus the time spent at work. So if you think about it, you realise how much of your time is actually spent at work just to cover your expenses. So the focus was on extreme savings while reducing expenses as much as possible. Now what is the aim of fire? Well obviously to retire early and what is the magic number? What is your magic number? The aim really is to save about 30 times your yearly income and then with a frugal living and retirement you can afford to retire much earlier. Now This doesn't always work, particularly if you start off with an extremely low income. You know, there's minimum wage uh, jobs. So this is really is aimed at people that have a really decent income or have capacity to build on that income, certainly in their 20s and early 30s. So here's an example. Um, If you earn, let's say, $100,000 a year, which is a pretty substantial income, even in Australia and in America, it's an excellent income, Um, 30 times that gross would be $3 million dollars. And that'll give you a good, decent retirement. Now, withdrawal rate of, let's say, 3%. Now, it used to be, remember, 4%, but I've sort of calculated a rough 3% estimate to become a little bit more conservative. Um, And living off the dividends of that um, will be uh, uh, 4%, let's say, is going to be around $120,000 per year. Now, if you just withdraw 3% of that, then it's going to be, you know, $90,000. Um, dollars per year. So, you know, $120,000 a year is pretty good, but the question is, are you going to be able to achieve $3 million with a $100,000 income, particularly if you've just reached that income at the age of 30? Probably not, particularly for fire people, but certainly that's the concept in trying to have extreme savings and invest for the long term so that you end up having that 30 times your yearly income as quickly as possible. But in recent times when it first started it was more about retiring early and going fishing or traveling or whatever. In recent times though the focus has been not about retiring completely early but it's about achieving financial independence and having the option to reduce your work hours so do the things you like more but still do some part-time work. So for example the type of work that I do there's no way that I'm going to be retiring early but it'll be nice for me to having to work part-time and not having to work you know, crazy hours just to make ends meet. Now, 70% of people, and this is what the stats say, and with uh, this extrapolated um, into Australian um, sort of workforce, 70% of people who go to work um, don't enjoy some element of their work. So there's something about their work that they don't enjoy. And that's not to say that they don't enjoy work altogether, but I mean, that's a huge number. Now, if you can have that access and if you're going to have that power and the option of doing part-time work, then why not? I think that'll be a huge, huge bonus for you. So that's what FIRE is. It really is a movement. It really has taken off. Um, it's gone global. Um, it, it, it certainly is a big movement in Australia, uh, very big movement in the North American uh, financial world at the moment, and also uh, the European world as well. Now, As we sort of moved on in time, fire has become into different subtypes, okay? So let's go through that. The traditional way is called fat fire. That means it's hardcore traditional savers um, and they save more than the average, okay? The average savings being 20%. These guys and girls are saving, you know, 50 to 70% of their after-tax income. That's a huge savings rate. The second type of fire is called lean fire. That is that you have extreme savings, um, but um, you have a significantly minimalist lifestyle and um, you restrict your life in significant ways uh, to achieve your financial independence as quickly and as rapidly as possible. So these people are just hardcore crazy savers and they're just minimalist in terms of expenses. So even more hardcore than the fat fire. There's something called barista fire, which I found really interesting. I mean, obviously, living in Melbourne, which is a you know coffee capital of the world, um, you know, basically um, you've retired from full time work, but you're still working part time to cover expenses rather than having to erode your retirement savings. So, in other words, the retirement savings that you've had have been significant, but they're not enough to cover your expenses. So you still need to do your part time work. that's called barista fire so essentially it's still a a form of fire movement but you just have not fully retired yet and coast fire Uh, basically it's similar to barista fire but the retirement amount can cover your expenses if need be but it just means that you choose to work part-time you don't have to but you choose to work part-time but essentially you know all of this is basically the nitty-gritties but the concept of fire is very simple work hard save a massive amount or massive percentage of your income 50 to 70 percent as a minimum and then put it towards long-term investing strategies and hopefully retire by the age of mid-30s or early 40s okay um now i talked about mr money moustache i think he's still active online um he made it very famous as a very uh very popular youtube clip about um, him on uh i think it was through one of the abc news networks which um which you might want to watch but he was, you know, uh, made extreme sacrifices in his life. Now, some people, you know, hated him for it. Uh, there's a lot of people that like him for it. But at the end of the day, it gives you the option of retiring early. Okay, so we're not forcing people to retire early. It's about having the options. And what does money give people? It gives people options. Um, you know, the aim, aim of all this is to not to be filthy rich, but to have some options and some luxuries uh, that you don't need to work full time in crazy hours to make ends meet uh the um there's heaps of others around some mad scientist is the other one um i think he's largely based in europe but i think he's an american um the aussie version of this is the aussie firebug podcast which i listen to he's got a great blog he tracks his net net worth um his name's matt um i think he's somewhere in rural victoria works for local government um now he hasn't achieved fire yet but that's certainly his goal um and i i think his podcasts are great um uh, if you're interested Um, so certainly subscribe to that uh, on CastBox or whatever podcast uh, app that you use. So, what are the pros of FIRE? Well, the pros are obviously financial independence. You don't need to worry about money as much as you would have had you not achieved financial independence or had you not gone through this extreme measure. What are the cons? You live like a pauper, so you can make sacrifices um, and and, you know, have this delayed gratification. Now, I think that's a pro, but some people think that's a con, so I'll put it into cons. Um, And really, if you're doing FIRE and you're married or have a partner or you're in some sort of relationship, your partner needs to be on it too. Otherwise, it's an absolute disaster. You can't do FIRE and have your partner who's a spender. It just does not work. Um, So at the moment, for me, at my stage of life, I've got two kids. um, I don't do FIRE, crazy FIRE. I just do the 20% savings rate. Um, certainly in my bachelor years and early marriage before the kids become um, uh, uh, become a reality for me, I certainly did FIRE and I didn't even know about it before it became famous. Uh, but, you know, once you have kids, you have a home, you have mortgages, you have other expenses, uh, it can be difficult to maintain that intensity. Although, you know, I know a couple of families that do do FIRE and that's because their income is in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you're making, you know, five hundred to $700,000 a year, then yeah, FIRE becomes... Uh, relatively uh, easier, but of course, uh, with it comes lifestyle factors and lifestyle creep. Um, but um, so you know, th- this all falls into the, the the principle of spend less than you earn, save the rest, save as much as possible early, and take advantage of compounding by investing it into a long-term investing strategy. So, are you a fire enthusiast? Are you doing fire right now? Comment, contact me if you want. Tell me how you're doing or perhaps how you plan to do it and tell me some of the pros and cons and some of the pitfalls that you've had. Um, Personally, I won't be retiring early. I love my job too much, but I like the option of retiring early. That means if I really wanted to, or God forbid, some family disaster and I have enough money to support myself and my family without having to stress about money. Um, The reason why I'm really passionate about this, guys, is that I deal with sick people all the time. That's my job. And one of the things that's really struck me hard is that when people get sick, um, the last thing you want to worry about is money. Now, in Australia, we have a great public health system. So nine times out of 10, you're going to get excellent care in a public health system, which is almost free. Okay, i say almost because some of the medications on discharge, some of the uh, uh, physio equipment, etc., you, you may have to pay for, but largely your care is free. But if you have an illness and you can't work, because of that illness, and therefore now you've, you've, you've basically lost that income, you've had to resign or you've had to use your sick leave or annual leave and you've run out of it, uh, yeah, the pennies can pinch. Um, and I think I've seen that all too familiar, a feeling of uh, you know, patients worried about having to go back to work, particularly the people that are not entitled to their sick leave, annual leave and super, so a lot of the tradies, a lot of people that are self-employed, who are just worried that they're going to get sick and they have to go back to work earlier rather than later, and don't have the opportunity to fully recover. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it firsthand how that can impact on their mental health. I've seen it firsthand how that can impact on their physical health. And that's why personal finance is such a passion, because it's really, really, really important uh, that you have it all in order, so that in the event of some emergency, you've got enough funds. And of course, if you're doing FIRE, you will have those funds to be able to, you know, sustain life to get through life's difficult pathways. I hope that doesn't happen, but Certainly um, I've seen it all too often in my career. So that's fire, that's topic one. So if you have any questions or comments, feel free to contact me. Now the second topic um, is an interesting one. It's called debt recycling. Um, So uh, look, this concept has been around for a long time, but uh, you may even be doing this without actually knowing about it. So um, uh, why is it important? Because it is a strategy that you can use, albeit uh, quite risky in my view, um, to pay off your mortgage sooner. Um, so let's go, let's sort of go into that a little bit. So when, when you look at structuring your finances, what is the aim of it? The aim is to reduce your non-deductible debt, that is your non-tax deductible debt, um, and maximize your tax deductible debt. That is the aim of the game. So um, if you've got an investment home and you've got a personal home, you want to pay off your personal home as quickly as possible and keep the investment home line the way it is and any excesses you pay off into your personal mortgage because the interest and the expenses on the investment mortgage is actually tax deductible. That's the beauty of the Australian tax system, which means you can have one personal home line and have 10 investment properties. And, and And keep tax deducting the expenses on those investment properties. Now that's another controversial topic. I've talked about it in my previous podcast about you know if there is a federal election this year, which is likely there is to be or you know maybe next year, um, you know there are one party is proposing uh, removing negative gearing, which is basically a tax deduction on your investment property. but we won't go into that again. I've already talked about this in my previous podcasts. So in Australia, unlike the U.S., personal mortgage is not tax deductible. In America, you can deduct expenses on the home that you live in. So that's a key sort of distinction for all the American listeners out there. Um, and in Australia, you can only deduct expenses as uh, expenses on income-producing assets. It's largely a generalisation, but it works for this purpose. So if you invest in something that produces an income, then yes, you can uh, you can deduct. Uh, the expenses and the interest on that loan. So, for example, if you buy a car um, and the car doesn't really you know, um, produce an income because it's your personal car, then you can't deduct that through the taxation system. So, how does debt recycling work? Okay, let's use an example. So, suppose you have a home and the home is worth $500,000, okay, um, and you have a mortgage on the home for around $200,000. So, you have three hundred thousand dollars equity in that home for this purpose equity just means if you sold your home you'll get a three hundred thousand dollar profit okay now if you borrow that equity that is if you borrowed another three hundred thousand dollars in your existing mortgage from your home loan and you use that three hundred thousand dollars to buy a personal car you know beautiful ferrari or mclaren or renovate the home that you actually live in then that amount that you borrow the extra 300 grand on top of the 200 grand that you already owe is not tax deductible because you're borrowing money to enrich your personal life and it's not really producing an income producing asset. So you can borrow on your home and buy something but because it's for personal use, largely the taxation department will say, "Well, hang on, you can't tax deduct that expense, particularly interest and in the expenses associated with the extra 300 grand that you borrowed on your house mortgage which is worth 200,000 but the house is actually worth 500,000. So stay with me. So the equity here is $300,000. But if you wanted to use that extra $300,000 that you've borrowed and buy an income producing asset such as an investment property or dividend paying share portfolio, then you could deduct the interest of that component of that loan by taking out a line of credit, okay, and use this strategy to pay off your mortgage faster. So this is how it might work. You ask your bank, uh, bank sorry, to fund a line of credit for the same portion of equity. So, 300K. So, you go to your bank and say, hey, look, my house is worth $500,000. i have got $200,000 in mortgage. Can I please borrow another $300,000 on my house? Uh, and I'm going to use that money because I'm going to ask you, what are you going to use it for? You're going to say, well, I'm going to use it for a uh, line of credit to buy an income producing asset such as dividend paying shares. Okay, so let's assume you buy $300,000 worth of dividend paying shares in a wide range of share portfolio. Okay, and your average dividend yield is around 4%, which is not unreasonable in today's market. Um, So that works out to be about $12,000 per year. Okay, so $12,000 per year is what your dividend paying share portfolio is generating in income. So therefore, that is $12,000 you've just generated kind of out of thin air, because, well, not really out of thin air in the sense that, you know, because you're basically using your mortgage, your house as a security to buy those $300,000 in shares because you've borrowed on the home, okay? When the dividends come in, you take the $12,000 of dividends and then you can then put it towards whatever you want. So what people do is they take the 12000 in dividends coming through the share portfolio and they put it towards their mortgage, okay? And that's on top of the usual mortgage payment. So you have got to pay the mortgage payment on the half a million dollars, okay? Which is $300,000 in line of credit and $200,000 in mortgage payment. And then when you get the dividends back in the shares, you take the dividends and pay the mortgage off. Not the line of credit, but just the mortgage off. So the $200,000 in mortgage that you've got you pay it off. Now, assuming the interest on the line of credit is 4%, now usually it's probably a little bit higher than that, but you're not going to be as high as margin loans, you will have to pay the interest on that of $12,000 as well. So, what's the benefit? Well, basically, aren't you producing $12,000 in dividends through the share portfolio, which you've bought through borrowed money through a line of credit, but also have an extra $12,000 in interest payment that you now owe On the line of credit on top of the mortgage that you owe $200,000 okay so now you have a total debt of $500,000 so what's the benefit in that well here's the kicker here's the benefit the interest on that $300,000 line of credit is now tax deductible and you've bought good shares that hopefully will grow in value over the long term ie it's a leveraged investment so yes it's a bit risky so therefore you're on a hefty tax bracket right you could claim a tax deduction on the interest payments on the line of credit and use the dividends you generate off that line of credit to pay off your home loan. Essentially, you're making your non-deductible home loan, which is your personal home loan, into a deductible loan through a line of credit. Okay? So, if you're on a 40% tax bracket, you can claim it back as a deduction, claim back the interest and the expenses on the line of credit. After one year you would have paid off your mortgage by $12,000 extra in addition to the usual mortgage payments. So that's extra repayments thanks to the dividends. So then you borrow that exact $12,000, um, again, as a line of credit again and top it up and buy more shares for the exact amount. And those shares then generate more dividends and the snowball effect kicks in after a few years. So that means over time, the $200,000 component of your mortgage gets lower and lower and lower i.e. your non-deductible mortgage and the line of credit of $300,000 gets higher and higher and higher but remember that's deductible debt and now you've paid off your mortgage okay now this is not without risks this is called debt recycling i hope you've understood that Uh, a lot of people do this but it is not without risks. so let's go through the pros and cons of this the pros is you're reducing your non-deductible debt and increasing your deductible debt. So I've talked about this principle before. That is the aim of the game. You pay off your personal mortgage faster. You invest in assets for the long term, which provide dividends. And we know the share market rises over the long term. I've talked about this extensively in my previous podcasts. And I've discussed uh, the, uh, the fact that the indexes raise all the time. So now you've bought shares, it's producing dividends, but remember the share value over the long term is likely going to go up. Now, of course, assuming you've bought good shares, but, you know, that's obviously, uh, that's in your hands. But overall, if you buy good shares, it's going to go up and the dividends are going to go up as well, okay? And therefore, it allows you to pay off your mortgage at the same time, generate an income via dividends, at the same time, make your line of credit tax deductible, but at the same time, gives you the advantage of compounding growth over many, many years. So that's the pros of debt recycling. What are the cons? Essentially, it's another cheeky way of saying, hey, why don't you borrow money to invest? It's risky, okay? So it's risky because your home value may depreciate, your share market may plummet, your dividends may get cancelled. So there's lots of risk uh, associated with uh, debt recycling. Now, you need a very secure primary income. So if your primary income is screwed and you're borrowing more money uh, to speculate on the share market, then yeah, you're in trouble. Um, You must have income protection and life insurance because if something goes wrong, um, it's nightmare. But, you know, generally speaking, you need to have that anyway before, uh, even if you're doing debt recycling or not. So I suggest everyone get income protection and life insurance because it's safer to do so. Now, the magnification of gains, Beautiful. Uh, but it also magnifies the losses. So don't forget that if you lose your home value, if you lose your share market value, if you lose your dividends, the dividends get cut or the company goes bust, you lose the money, so it does magnify the losses. It's definitely not good for panickers. Okay, So if you're going to read the newspaper about Brexit, no Brexit, uh, if you're going to read the newspaper about the US government shutdown or um, some issue in uh, uh, Africa or a terror attack somewhere, and it's going to influence the way that you're going to invest, it's just an absolute nightmare. So it's good for the people that stay the course. Ignore the noise, stay the course. So I guess the question now becomes, well, why can't I just get a margin loan? Because the margin loan um, interest is also deductible. Yeah, it could do that, um, but you'll find that the margin loan interest is significantly higher than a line of credit. A good bank, if you have a good relationship, you've got a good amount of mortgage debt, I think a good bank will give you a line of credit uh, for similar to your, um, similar to your mortgage uh, insurance, uh, sorry, your, your mortgage interest rate, okay? Now, uh, the critical element here though, that for this to work, for debt recycling to work, you need to continue paying off your mortgage amount and then chuck the dividends that you earn on top of it, okay? I'm not suggesting that you replace the dividend payment with the mortgage payment. You got to do the mortgage payments. You got to have the capacity and the primary source of income to do that, and you chuck the dividends on top of it. So um, it's more useful for people that pay very high tax brackets, okay? So if you're in 40, 45% tax bracket, and you're a high income earner, then this becomes very, very useful. Um, It's less useful um, for low income earners, and in all honesty, it's way too risky for low income earners, because low income earners are more likely to have a unsteady financial and job situation, okay? So, I have to stress: stress debt recycling. Uh, I'm having a stroke here. Debt recycling is not for everyone. Um, it's a well-known strategy. Um, it's a risky strategy, but you know, if you're smart about it, it may benefit you. It's just a financial concept and a strategy that's important to know about. You're relying on the home price to rise. You're also relying on the share market not tanking. And you're relying on the dividends not tanking. It's a long-term strategy. I'd say at least ten years. Um, and it's not for the faint of heart. I don't use this strategy. Okay, I'm risk-averse. Uh, because, you know, I've got family, I've got kids. I don't want anything, you know, crazy to happen in the financial markets. I just take my 20% and keep investing it for the long term. I don't do fancy pantsies and I don't do any debt recycling, okay? So it's not something that I'm comfortable with, but it's certainly, I know a lot of people that do that. um, And, you know, they've done reasonably well. Now, a couple of things. In my example, I have assumed a 100% borrowing on your equity. In today's environment, you won't be able to achieve it. All right. If you've gone to a bank recently and tried to get a home loan, you'll see how difficult it is. So to get a line of credit for three hundred thousand dollars, that it's a hundred percent of your equity, um, you know, it's not going to be possible. So you're probably looking at about seventy to eighty percent, um, you know, with our LMI. So you know, I've just used it as an example to highlight a point. So, in summary, in this podcast episode twenty one, fire, financial independence, retire early. It's a movement. It's a financial concept. It's extreme savings. Um, uh, and, and 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 generally a minimalist attitude to spending um, with the aim of having the option to reduce your work hours and retire early. Um, it certainly is prominent in Australia and uh, North America and Western Europe. The second concept is debt recycling. Uh, we've talked about what it is. It is a risky concept, um, but certainly if you play it well, it may benefit you. You may already be doing it without actually knowing it. Okay. So this is Raja from Melbourne. It's extremely hot today. I think it's like 31 degrees and tomorrow it's going to be 35 and later this week it's going to be 42 degrees guys. So stay safe, stay in the shade, slip, slop, slap, whatever you do. Um, if you go in the water, please swim between the flags. Um, we've had significant tragedies, um, in Melbourne and Victoria and around Australia this summer. Um, And uh, I think the cricket's still on, so um, first of all, congratulations to India, they they really did well against the Aussie cricket team, Um, and I think Sri Lanka are here, if I'm not mistaken, and of course the Big Bash is still going, and of course, who can forget the Australian Open, one of the best Grand Slams of the world, and the first Grand Slam of the world, and for all you Melbourneites out there, don't forget the Formula One Grand Prix is coming very, very soon in March. So. Lots and lots of sporting. This The first half of the year in, in Australia, guys, particularly in Melbourne, lots and lots of sport. Um, so this is Rajar signing off from beautiful Melbourne on a very, very hot day. I'm sweating here um, uh, just outside my work, actually. I'm just about to start my work tonight. So thank you very much for listening. And Until next time, uh, this is Dev Rago, Personal Finance. Um, and save yourself, uh, pay yourself, and save 20% of your after-tax net income. And invest it away for the long term. Until next time, stay safe. Thank you.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello fresh